Peltero Pickle episode 149, very heavy swing episode today. A lot of discussion about mechanics, approach, some really good topics in here. I think you're going to like it. Check it out. Peltero Pickle, episode 149. This is the post-Thanksgiving episode. My mustache is still running strong. This is going to be a heavy-hitting episode. Not like a heavy hitter. Like uh, Actually, it might be a little heavy hitter, but topic of hitting. Uh, it's going to be fun. Before we get started, a reminder, send us your questions to pickle at peltero.com or find us on social media. I'm at Tukes Hitting. Chris is joining me at CC20Rake. Uh, at Peltero Pickle, at Peltero App. Find us on social if you listen. You probably follow us anyway. Uh, Chris, have you noticed that the uh, the search is weird? Every time I search for at CC20Rake, usually before Elon took over, it would pop up right away if I type CC. Now it goes to like CC Sabathia and like other CCs. And you, I have to basically type in your whole handle for it to show up. Bothers me. You're my CC, not CC Sabathia. I just did a search for myself and... If I get to the two, no, if I just do CC, it shows up. I've never searched myself, though, my handle anyway. Ne- you've never so searched I don't yourself. know. I mean, I, I certainly don't put in CC20 rake. If I was going to do a search for myself, I would put in Chris Colabello just to see who's talking smack without tagging me. And now that I see it, it's because it's looking for CC in the name, not in the handle. Elon made that change, I think. Oof. Big stuff. Which if if I Big if I'm stuff. searching for the handle and I'm doing at because I'm doing at CC because if I type in Chris one two three four five six seven eight nine you don't even show up when I type in Chris. Strange. Well, what's up with that, Elon? It's basically just saying I'm in, not let famous. Me, let, me, let me type in cola. No, you, you pop up for cola. Because I don't follow any colas besides you. I just thought it was weird. I used to be able to just type in CC and it would pop up. And now it doesn't. So way to go, yeah. Elon. Uh, how was Thanksgiving? Do anything exciting? Your big uh, big football games this weekend. Rivalry games. Pretty exciting. The Ohio State-Michigan game was good. Alabama snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. Steve Springer, when you play golf with Steve Springer, he says, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. He always says that. That's what Auburn did. Auburn snatched defeat. They found a way to lose. Uh, you do anything exciting? you have any exciting food? Savannah cook anything up nice? I had the food. No, I had the food the pilgrims ate. That's all I wanted. I wanted no pasta. It was just me and my parents. Um, my wife's family, Allie's family, did their own thing. For good reason. Um, they actually had a loss in the family Thanksgiving Day. So uh, it was a weird holiday. It was weird. It, was, uh, it involved Thursday morning involved a lot of me just sitting in one place, which was great with my dogs. I haven't done that in a while. So I did that. But then everything else was whatever. I watched no football. On Thanksgiving or all weekend? Whatsoever. No. The whole time. No college football. I saw 
I saw one of Dallas's drives on Thanksgiving Day, and I saw one of Detroit's drives. But that's the most football I've watched all year. Uh, NFL, I saw the Alabama play. NFL I had to go to a wedding. Brutal. NFL is not enjoyable to watch right now at all. There's no good storylines in the NFL. Which is Aaron Rodgers was the only good storyline in the NFL this year. I feel like all like watching the game is just it's just the referees just dictating everything. It's pay, it's absolutely painful to watch. I can't stand it. At least college there's like stories and the uh the Michigan Ohio State was just built up drama, so that was fun. Um yeah. 6 6 years ago I I would have watched every NFL game on TV. Now, not one. Because Tom Brady's I not. Miss Tom Brady. Yeah, it's your it's Tom Brady. What it comes down to. Um, important question. Did you hear what he said about the league being terrible now? Yeah. The fundamentals are bad and all that stuff. Loved it. Yeah. Did you see the yeah. the some other quarterback was like Tom Brady played in the weakest division ever, and then somebody pulled the stats. Alex Smith said it. Yeah. Uh, and then so he pulled the numbers and like against non-division teams, you had the best record of like anything <laughs> compared to other great quarterbacks. Just funny. Like I don't, I don't understand like the need of people to like try to knock people down. Like what's the point? I don't, I don't get it. Because he was on a national TV show and they needed to have stuff to talk about. I mean, if I were the quarterback for the the nine, the two thousand seven. To 2016 Kansas City Chiefs, probably wouldn't talk a lot of smack. No, Alex Smith's good though. I like him. I like him, and he's right. I mean, like he had Rex Ryan on the show, and Ryan was making faces. We like, had Rex yeah, Ryan, Teddy Bruschi, except for the years that you won. And then Ty Law. Was it there? Were, there were two Patriots and one Jets on, on, the, on the show. They're all like, yeah, "Dude, we're right here. Right. We're standing right here." Uh, very important question. What is your favorite uh, Thanksgiving side dish? That seems to be a popular question. I don't question. really know if I have a good answer to that. How about from this uh, year? How about from this year? Because my all-time favorite, we have a family noodle recipe, egg noodles, that um, I didn't make because I was wireframing instead of doing any cooking. Um, this year... We had a pecan sweet potato casserole that was delicious. It's basically like yeah, it's like brown sugar with pecan with the sweet potato. It was it was incredible. Shout out to the Geigers for hosting. Anything that involves sweet potatoes, anything that involves sweet potatoes, is probably pretty good. Like you can make broccoli and cheese, like broccoli and cheese casserole. I like broccoli and cheese as long as it's Velveeta, the least cheesy cheese. Or the most cheesy fake cheese, but the least cheese cheese. The, you have to lowest, put in a casserole or else it doesn't taste good. The lowest cheese quality of all cheeses or quantity. Low cheese. My mom was in, my mom incessantly. So it was a recipe of one of my dad's aunts. They weren't great cooks, right? They just bought what was at the store. It's frozen broccoli. Velveeta Ritz crackers, basically the recipe, right? You just put it in the oven like that. And it was awesome because it was this gooey way to make broccoli taste delicious. The broccoli stayed hard enough that it didn't make you want to throw up. And it was a combination of those ingredients. My mom incessantly for like eight years 
tried to make it with fresh broccoli and regular cheese, any kind of cheese that she would pitch and not Ritz crackers. And I just didn't like it. And she couldn't understand why I didn't like it. I said, my, like maybe use Velveeta and she still won't use frozen broccoli. And then what happens with fresh broccoli is it gets gooey. And And you just like end up mushing it with your tongue. That ain't it. No, mushy, mushy broccoli is not it. But all right. Well, I basically, I just, I'm in it for the turkey. Light or dark meat. Is that weird? I think it doesn't really matter. I think dark I, meat, I would normally opt for I think for light meat, white meat. I think dark meat can stand on its own from a flavor profile standpoint. Light meat needs like combo bites or cranberry sauce and and gravy. gravy. Like you eat turkey with cranberry sauce and gravy. Like you don't eat turkey to eat turkey. Dark meat you can. Come on. Yeah, sure. It's gonna sure. Be more fat. It's gonna more flavor. Whatever flavors are better. Yeah. Flavors better flavor profile. Yeah, all I'm saying is it can stand on its own. Dark meat, yeah. and it's usually less dry. White meat has a tendency to be more dry. Those are facts. But that's why you need the gravy. You can talk gravy about with like, those things yeah. and facts. Well, these are important, very important sports topics. This is like the the locker room banter part of the show, where you're just like kicking on the bus, waiting to get to the field, sitting in the lobby. Talking about nonsense. That's all this is. We start every show like this. We're 149 episodes in. You're just picking up on this now. We just people are people are. I always wondered there would be times when I'd be on the field, and I would sit there and I go, I wonder if the person in the 14th row has any idea about the fact that we're talking about, you know, how Johnny popped in the Claire's to get his earring cleaned yesterday and then you know play the game of Fortnite. that was really interesting i never talked about Fortnite on the field i did talk about fifa and nhl a lot because those were games that got played a lot in blue jays basic team bonding yeah it's relevant all right let's jump into topics like i said it's going to be a heavy hitting episode First topic, I had a tweet. I think most of these are my tweets. No, that's not true. Uh, the missing frames are missing. So I said, just a general statement here. I like the phrase, the missing frames are missing. So in the hitting world, that's a fairly controversial thing for me to say. I don't know how many people know why that's a fairly controversial thing. Do you know off the top of your head, Chris, why that's fairly controversial? I try not to get too far down the rabbit hole. I just try to let my eyes see what they see and my brain tell me what it tells me. And then I just get fascinated with people, including you, I'm going to put this out there, who really need to define everything. And then generally that's what leads to arguments online because somebody asks a question that's either leading or condescending and then somebody else replies with something, and then somebody else replies with another rhetorical slash condescending question. So I, I, I know what a good swing looks like. And that's it. I had, I had I a couple. Do. I I had two. I had out. two things this weekend where um, I will never interact with that person again, based on like replies. It's pretty interesting. 
Like I had one person I asked a question about something that I thought was very relevant. And then like a DM got sent. I was like, okay, no more interaction. And somebody else I thought was being super vague. So I kind of called them on it. And then they just like replied with 37 tweets in a row and I just muted it and I'm never going to reply ever again. It's crazy. It's a weird, weird world out there. Um, anyway, the, uh, the phrase, the missing frames are missing is a quote from, uh, our friend Richard. And he likes to use that phrase as a way of like attacking people. And if anybody poses swing that he doesn't like, that's, that's a phrase that he'll use. And I actually like the phrase. And this is like a, this is a bigger topic because somebody asked me how do a, a coach in a major league organization yesterday asked me, why do people fall for this? Why do they, why do they fall for this information? And he was talking about his, uh, they have pretty advanced biomechanics labs and they have, you know, lots of data, lots of tech, lots of cool stuff. And He's like, yeah, it's just not what we see the best hitters doing. Even his hitters don't do the stuff that he's talking about from a pure measurement standpoint. Um, but that being said, I when I see a swing that's really good mechanically, there it's like they take a shortcut. It's like the swing is shorter than you think it should be. So if the missing frames are missing, which is kind of like a weird phrase to say, it means there's there's additional length in the swing that shouldn't be there. So the additional frames are the missing frames. So when the missing frames are missing, the swing is, is, is longer than what you would typically see. Now, how you generate that swing is a very different conversation. How you, how you actually make that swing happen is a thing to be considered and very important. But the phrase, the missing frames are missing, to me, it shows that the hitter has an efficient swing. Their sequence is doing things that create that shortcut that the best hitters take. So like Barry Bonds takes a shortcut. Albert Pulse takes a shortcut. Ted Williams takes a shortcut. So the other thing that I said to this person that I was talking to was that when you look at swings, you can talk about the swing. You can talk about mechanical advantage. You can go into depth with all of that stuff. But you must also understand that the best hitters make excellent use of the mechanical advantages. So if you look at something like being able to create depth and length, when you look at things like creating direction, when you look at things like being able to make uh, plane adjustments, the best hitters make use of those mechanics and those mechanical advantages really well. You can have a really good swing and not make use of those mechanical advantages. So we have to, like, we just have to peel back the layers a little bit further to have real conversations. I don't think anybody actually wants to have real conversations now, though. Like, I don't, I, I don't it's, and I don't mean, uh, that's a generalized statement. I shouldn't have made it. Um, I think most people on the internet, and I asked you this on Saturday on the phone. I said, is anybody ever going to discover anything or orally state something or define something well enough for the entire industry to come into agreement or come to the same place? And, and I'm talking about perpetuity right now. I'm talking about in foreverness. And the, the 
I think the harsh reality here is we will never get the entire space to agree on what is taught and how to define what is taught because it's complex, right? There's complexity to the baseball swing. There's complexity to human movement. There's complexity to the application of that movement to hitting a baseball. Is that fair? Is am I, am I saying that in a way that is reasonable? Yeah. And it, it alludes to the fact that you just said it, it completely alludes to the fact that you just said, and I love the way you phrased it. Great hitters take advantage of the mechanical advantages, right? Like, people that end up being great at hitting are they're really leveraging their swings to be the best hitters, right? Um, as opposed to guys who have good swings and don't use them to their advantage. Now, you can just make keep making the argument what comes first, the chicken or the egg, forever. But the only way to really see if anything is working, so to say, is to see if an entire group of players levels up, right? And that's why what Matt Swope did with the University of Maryland over the last three years is incredible. And it validates everything from a motor preference standpoint because he took a group of players and they all leveled up, right? They all became better versions of themselves then created a better whole. From an industry-wide standpoint, will that ever happen? Like, right? Like, you could talk about the launch angle generation. Are we hitting more homers? Sure. Are players that weren't hitting homers before hitting homers? Sure. Like in 1978, a five foot seven second baseman didn't hit double digit homers. Is that fair? Mellot was pretty short. He was pretty small, but he also played in the polo grounds with a tiny, tiny left field or right field. Uh, Pedroia, like, yeah, it, it's, yeah, keep going. It was out of the realm of expectation, right? It wasn't the norm. Fair, fair to say. There's like, a lot of factors. You weren't going to have. <clears throat> There's a lot of factors because people weren't trying to hit homers. They weren't, um, like, Correct. like. Babe Ruth hit more home runs in the entire league multiple times. Like how many other players were taking hacks like Babe Ruth at the time? Like that's one of the reasons he was considered so groundbreaking and so different because he was trying to do something different than everybody else. And we can talk about bat size. We can talk about the baseball construction. We can talk about velocity. We could, there's a whole bunch of things. I think today's players are incredibly athletic. They're in the weight room. They're getting stronger. They're creating the ability to hit the ball over the fence. Basically, anybody in the big leagues can hit the ball over the fence all the time, by and large. Um, You said something earlier, the chicken or the egg. And I, uh, Nick Arrivo, intern Nick, can we call him intern Nick? Sure. Um, He reached out to me the other day and he's like, hey, I'm I'm, I'm doing this thing. He's, He's doing some prep for something. And he go, he asked me a question about hitting for average or hitting for power. And he asked, like, basically, how do you how do you weigh those two things? And my reply, my response was, if you if trying to hit for power negatively affects your batting average, then you have a swing flaw. If trying to hit for average neg- negatively affects your power, then you probably have a swing flaw. The best hitters do both. And the question I asked is like, do you have a hundred points, and you're going to divide those hundred points amongst batting average 
and power? Or can batting average go up to 100 and power go up to 100 where they're both their own independent categories, but chasing power affects batting average or chasing batting average affects power? The best hitters do both. Like the best of all time fill both buckets, not like, oh, I only have 100 points to divide up amongst these things. They're, they're standalone things. They're not, they're correlated. They can be correlated. But if you're chasing one at the detriment of another, if you're raising one ceiling and pushing the floor of another thing down, you're probably going about it in the wrong way. And you, what you just said is actually defining what you're defining the problem in today's society is that one side thinks that way and the other side thinks that way. Right. And, and they don't, they don't take the time to correlate the pieces. So when I say like, I look at the swing as what the swing is, I grew up in a way that I was never going to sacrifice my ability to hit 300 for anything. Like it was just never going to happen because when I went 0 for 12, I was miserable. Like I hated it. And I don't know if it's because it, it didn't say 300 next to it when you go 0 for 12. But I had a really, really hard time detaching from when it started to go downward. And you see that happen with a lot of guys. They start out bad and they can't get out of it. And, and the reason why isn't because of anything more than it's a reflection of their numbers. Right? Because realistically, if you go 2 for 36, nobody should care but it's depicted in your batting average, right? Like you shouldn't care if you went two for 36, your only job should be to feel good the next day. That's a really hard thing for a lot of people to do because the batting average becomes a representation of who they are within the game and standing within the game where that's the way people feel about it anyway. So anyway, you're right. You should never sacrifice one for the other. If if you build it the right way, like the best batting average year I had was the most homers I hit. It's not, it's like, what are we talking about? Like, cause if hitting is so circumstantial and situational, people always say homers are thrown. They're not hit or not people, but my double a pitching coach, homers are thrown. They're not hit. You have to pick your spots. And then if you're delivering a swing to a baseball that has great direction great path, then you're giving yourself a chance to, to hit a homer all the time, except for when you're not. I'm going to jump to a topic because it's relevant. It's, it's, a, it's a very similar thing. So uh, Patrick Jones put out a thing. He's got a newsletter he's doing, so he's trying to promote it. <clears throat> but he's talking about bat speed, and he talks about grip, intent, stance, movement, training program. He gives a formula. Bat speed, it, it's hilarious to me that people – like, why is there so much discussion around bat speed? Like, yeah, bat speed's good. The best athletes have good bat speed. It's, it's such a boring conversation. But he said, you see two sides of people talking about it online. And I disagree with this. And I'm going to give my two examples, what I think is happening. Two sides of people online. One side that says it's everything and you should focus on it. And the other side says it's overrated. That's, those, that's what he... Uh, proposed as the two sides of the conversation. I disagree. So the, and I'm curious what you, you, what you think about this. So I wrote in the notes, I said one, one side thinks that bat speed makes you a good hitter. The other side thinks that bat speed complements your hitting ability. I think those are two very, very, 
different things. I agree with I think you. They're very different things. I agree with you. Let's just let's just be clear. I agree with you. Most people don't get consumed by defining things the way you do. So my read between the lines would be everybody that's on the other side thinks what you think. They're not saying it well. So like not saying something well leaves room for ambiguity and I guess making shit up, so to say, right? When you say something that's not completely defined, but no matter how well I define something, something somebody's going to interpret it a certain way right somebody is going to interpret my words in a way that is different than what i intended them to be meant for and that's just part of what society does it's part of what it's why a, a, a an athlete can get up and do an interview and people just automatically half of them will call him a liar and half of them will tell him he's telling the truth it's why it's really hard to be in the public eye because you could have every really good intention in the world and there's still going to be people that think you're a douchebag. So I think that's what he means. And look, I, I don't necessarily think he's great at talking about hitting. No offense to the kid. But it is what it is. And I agree with you in, like wholeheartedly. When you define it, when you get that narrow, I, I, I yeah, you're right. Well, so if if we talk about like creating bat speed, the first question I have is, is there one way to create bat speed? I think I froze. That's a question for me? I froze. I don't know. What you... you have that question for me specifically. Uh, just, in, just a general statement. It's more rhetorical like oh. because the answer is like, yeah, there's many ways to create bat speed. There's many ways to create a swing. Like there's different ways, different techniques with how to swing, how to create leverage on the bat. The bat will not move on its own, correct? Like the human is holding the bat and the bat can't move on its own. So by default, there's different ways to swing. There's different human beings. There's different limb lengths. There's different, there's a whole bunch of different things. So when it comes to creating speed, there's different ways to create speed. And like for me, if that is too nuanced of a conversation, I probably shouldn't have a conversation with you. Like if, if talking about, if talking sure. about different so ways of creating speed I, is too I, far, I, then I personally am not the right person for that person to have a conversation with. The issue that I see is when, when um, driveline is out there promoting bad speed and then video after video after video is guys creating bad speed in ways that generally accepted, like, you're swinging harder to create speed. That's what it looks like. I don't know if that's what's being cued. I don't know. But when you just constantly barrage the internet with pull the ball in the air, swing faster, pull the ball in the air, swing faster. What are we supposed to think about that? And then we as hitting people who wholeheartedly believe that that's detrimental to many, many, many hitters. And we get pissed off. We get annoyed. We get frustrated. It's like, guys, you're, you have a responsibility to the industry because you've, put yourself there you've created that and now like it, <laughs> you're, you're you're forcing our hand into defending it defending against it that's what it feels like so i guess kudos to them for having a good marketing the, machine. 
it's a pretty good way to, but it's a pretty good way to put it, right? Because <laughs> who's your audience, right? Who like who's the audience? Who is the audience that you're appealing to? Who's the audience that you're alluding to? Now, I get disheartened when when major league caliber hitters are involved because if you play in the major leagues or even in the high minor leagues or even in the SEC, at some point in your life, you recognize that swinging harder, the act of swinging harder does not allow you to be more successful in gameplay. So there's, there's a layer of intuition as a hitter. And I guess this is the lens I'm going to speak from here. At some point in your life, you recognize that when you try harder in the box, try harder involves more intent, more effort, more energy, faster, it faster turns into harder, right? Where any talk to any martial artist, you talk to any great hitter, they'll say slow is smooth, smooth is fast type stuff, right? And your level of perception of what amount of energy you're using to make a swing should never be nearing a hundred or 90% even really, because if you do that, it, it becomes tight, long, forceful, and then the swing breaks down the path of the swing breaks down. So you have to create great paths first. Now, even using a term like path is just very obscure, right? Because when people, people don't even know how to define direction versus plane. And they just say, oh, your path, your path, like your path. And what you do is you one, go layers One of deeper. the things that uh, that popped up, one of the, the the DMs was I asked somebody to describe just very like very honest question. What is your definition of a clean path or clean entry? It's like people use this term all the time. What does it actually mean to you? That's all I asked. And it was like a problem. Oh, boy. Like what, so, what a simple question. I'm tell you what a simple about question. You come across it. You come you come across as condescending when you ask those no, questions. No, I even prefaced That's it. I even prefaced I, I prefaced it saying yeah, like genuine question. Like I'm cur- I'm genuinely curious to know how you define this. So the internet interprets when somebody says genuine question. No, I, I save that. I save that. That's like when just so you know. That's like when the people internet. curse all the time and it loses its meaning. I save that. There's there's time if I'm being if I'm being sassy, I'm doing it. The people should know I'm doing I'm being sassy. I'm just telling you what my perception is a lot of times with you. Great. This topic actually came up this morning, just so you know. Great. So you are perceived as being douchey when you ask that question. Now, are there ways to facilitate making that question easier? And do I think you're actually trying to be a douche? No. But this gets really sensitive, right? The space gets sensitive. And people, people don't know how to handle real conversations. When they don't have answers for things, they generally get defensive that's what it is right you get defensive when you don't when you're in a conversation where you think you're supposed to be a subject matter expert instead of being like hey man i'm really not sure here or i'm not sure how to define this well and i think this is probably what makes me pretty unique when i get in the cage and why people tell me they really that i'm like a hitting whisperer because i don't think i know more about 
about the swing than anybody else. I know what my eyes tell me about how somebody's hitting a ball. And in my brain, it all makes sense to me. Is it all defined? No, absolutely not. You helped do that for me. And that, I think, ultimately made me become a better hitter. So I could only see the world from my lens. I can't see it from anybody else's. Um, it's just, it's weird, man. It's a weird space because even when you say data or analytics, people interpret it to be this thing that they have in their mind. When you say analytics, nobody thinks about batting average. Well, guess what? Batting average is an analytic. It's, it's, it's an analysis, a numerical analysis of a player's ability to get a certain amount of hits and a certain amount of bats. And so all the guys that say, oh, analytics are stupid. Well, you're stupid because you're, you're saying, oh, batting average is king. Well, then you believe in analytics, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to define what humanity is thinking where you're trying to like take very literal definitions of words. And I don't think most people go to those layers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's fine. I'm, I'm not super concerned about it from, uh, yeah, there's just, there's more layers to go to and I'm not incredibly interested in like the very, very, as I'll say it this way. As soon as one term can be interpreted in multiple ways, the term no longer exists. It, it needs to be defined further. Like if I use, if I say the word C to you, C, C. Fair. What did I just say? Am I talking about vision? Am I talking about a body of water or the letter yes, or the letter C or yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. No, I had, I had yes. In yeah. So I, yeah. I just, I just made yeah. one sound with my mouth and it meant four different things. And if we don't talk about what, what I'm meaning to say, or if I have no consideration for the person listening, then what are we even, we're not communicating. We're just, we're just cavemen grunting noises at each other. <laughs> nothing intelligent happening beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. Just got that great text message in the middle of the show too. That was good. Most of what I read was good. Yeah. All right. Uh, next topic. It's kind of, we're just bleeding everything together right now. So I wrote good hitters do what they want. Pull the ball. Go oppo, swing and miss under and over at will, whatever. Bad hitters don't do one thing, in quotes, hit the ball well. Is skill about doing one thing or the ability to do everything and then being hyper intentional? So this was, I, I had this thought a couple months ago, but I don't think I ever tweeted about it. I thought it was hilarious when I was thinking about it a couple months ago, where like, you're in the cage. Let's say you're in the cage with like a 10 year old, a 12 year old, whatever, not a, not a polished hitter whatsoever. All they're trying to do is hit the ball and they're not good at it. Right. They're just trying to hit the ball. Hey, just hit the ball. The parents are yelling, hit the ball. Come on, hit the ball. Put the ball on the tee. They're trying to hit the ball. They can't do it. They stink at it. Missing over, missing under. A good hitter put the ball on the tee and say, Hey, I want you to pop this up. I want you to pull a ground ball. I want you to do hit a line drive down the right field line. They can do whatever they want. So the, the concept there is that good hitters have a, 
an ability to do many, 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 many things. And then when it matters, they're doing what they are choosing to do and what they're intending to do, which is like hit a line drive or hit the ball hard or whatever. Swing and miss. Feel like you're swinging and missing over the riding fastball or feel like you're swinging two feet under the sinking fastball or letting the ball travel or whatever. But most kids just try to hit the ball and they stink at it. And then they keep trying to practice doing one thing and then they never get good at it. So somebody replied to me and said, and asked like, so like, what, how do you, how do you do this? I go, put the ball on the tee and have your kid take a full swing and just skim the ball. Patrick, I don't know if you remember doing this. Then I used to do this like full swing, skim the ball, ball doesn't leave the tee. Full balance swing. Don't change your swing. Just, I want you to graze the ball in a full swing. It's hard to do. But the act of doing that makes you more aware of how you're missing. You're giving a very, very specific cue, a very specific intent. No different than like putting the ball on the tee with the two seams vertical, hit the ball on the inside seam, hit the ball on the outside seam, feel contact. Like, here's a question. Chris, do you think it's normal that hitters understand the feel of contact? Like, oh, I got around that ball or, oh, I filleted that ball. Or are they just using like hit tracks um, just to get, you know, the I hit the ball and then I turn around and look at the screen and it told, it told me what happened as opposed to feeling it. How what, what percentage of hitters do you think have a feel of different contact? Let's go this. What percentage of major leaguers can feel that type of stuff? Triple A. Triple A. All of them. Double A. All of them. 97% Single A. of them. Independent ball. 96% of them. 90. Division one. Power five. Division one. Power five. Division one. Division two. 90%. Division three. Uh, uh, D3. Uh, average high school varsity school. player. JV <laughs> players. <laughs> it's the, the drop-offs in normal. Like Way less 34%? Than 50%. Way less than 50 The drop... <laughs> so it depends on what, like, right? There's, there's like... Tier one hitters and tier two hitters are pretty close, I think. And then tier three is like, just you fall off a cliff. Like, it, it's, it's the like same a, it's reason a why thing. I it's yes so or no. I do a little it's like, hitting thing. Yes, you can do it. No, you can't. I, yeah, like I do a little, I do a little hitting thing on Saturdays for one of our customers in the Boston area, extra innings. Shout out Boston Prime, extra innings. They just keep getting shouted out on a pod. Yeah, um, got more gear coming. I heard, and I heard they got more they gear. Actually, I, I really, yeah, I really like, I, I like everything they stand for, like super, just awesome organization, right? Um, and I have probably three or four of those locally. Evolution Baseball, Longhorns, uh, US9 Prospects, right? Those are my people. And I'm doing this thing on Saturday and there's a couple, like, there's a couple like talented kids, right? And I can't stand when I just incessantly watch swings that like allow for a ground ball to shortstop to show up in flips. I can't stand it. It's just, and I'm like, what, like what happened? Like what made you 
accept that swing. And not even like the fact that it happened. It's the fact that there's just no standard being held. And I think this is why I was having this conversation with, with a, a big league hitting coach about two weeks ago. Like, I can't make people care. And that sucks. So I, I try to, uh, I think I've been trying to get people to care, right? I try to get amateurs to care. I try to get them to be really hyper aware of what we're talking about, where most people just aren't. Most people are trying to get them to feel their best swing, their best bolt, because a cage session in November I don't really give a shit how many balls you flush. The only reason I care about that at all is for you and for your psyche, for your, your desire to come back and and love this game the way I do. So the only thing I try to do is create defining moments for players so that they understand how high of a standard they should be allowed to hold themselves to. And I, I just don't think enough baseball people do that which is probably why when I get in the cage with a hitter after a session, generally somebody's like, Oh my God, that's the best thing ever. And I, I sit there and I go, I really didn't do anything and I wasn't very good today. So it's hard, man. It's hard to, to be the one and, and not the zero. And that's even narcissistic and, and cocky to say that. No, <laughs> It's hard to be the one because there's just a lot of well, zeros. It's, it's like it comes down to like energy and how much energy can you give to somebody? Or to me, the thing you just said about caring is incredibly, incredibly relevant because it's like how do you make somebody pay attention? How do you make them spend brain power on like focusing on how the ball is coming off the bat? How do you make somebody do that? And the player needs to have some sort of internal desire to improve and to advance. Sometimes that player has no idea if they want to do that and they're just there because they think it's what they're supposed to do or their parents sign them up or, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of reasons there. Um, but it, it becomes a question of what questions do you need to ask? What information do you need to present how do you expose that player to things? And that may, it might be failure, it might be success to get them to buy in. And I think what we see when we go on Twitter and social media and we see a bunch of just like eyewash stuff that's very serving to the coach and not serving to the player because if the player stuff is doesn't like is the stuff that serves the player best suited for online material? Probably not. We just see drill after drill after drill after drill. We see like a, a cool pop song overlaying a video of a guy hitting a homer and then all of the reasons that they think it happened. It's like, dude, you got to – So I was thinking about this this weekend with my daughters. Like <clears throat> they don't have a high tolerance to failure. So how do I build that up? Like swing and miss a couple times. What do I need to say for them to keep trying? Keep going. You're Okay. Doesn't like because they, they swing and miss ten times in a row. Uh, Dad, let's do something else. So, how do you build up tolerance to failure? It's it's critical. It's so it's so necessary. You gotta get you gotta get you gotta get beat up 
you got to get beat up and you got to be able to stand up after. You got to have somebody that can catch you when you're falling. Is there somebody there to catch you while you're falling and make you realize that it's not just this infinite drop? Can That's we, why Rich Gedman was such a Can we back up and just career. we I think the first thing we need to do is acknowledge that it's hard. And if we're if For we sure. just do that first, then we can enter the whole world where like let's do hard things. Because doing hard things makes us better. Doing hard things builds, you talk about armor a lot. Doing things that are hard, and that could be lifting weights that are heavy. That could be running somewhere far and feeling pain. It could be pushing through homework in school that's really challenging. Like what are the hard things that you go through? And there's different books and stuff about how um, like experiencing pain in your personal life can be a, a trigger for this type of stuff. I think it's uh talent code or talent is overrated. I think talent code talks about this where like typically people that achieve greatness in life have experienced severe pain or severe suffering in other areas of life. So it like, it gives you that, that reflection. Point. I'm, I'm going to pull you right now. Let's define why it's Love hard, it. Bobby. Right. Let's define why this is my, the, the reason why hitting is so hard. The physical act of hitting a baseball is not hard, right? The physical act of, I can make an argument. I'll make an argument that you swing at it and hit it. (laughs) Look at like Giannis Antetokounmpo swinging a bat and he, (laughs) it, but in, 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 again, in the grand scheme of like, oh, I took my four-year-old son to the field and I just flipped the balls well, for I think if, two years. If we're gonna, Guess what? The physical act it, of hitting the if ball If we're going is not to define hard. it, though, what percentage of the population can actually do it? I agree it's with you. In a, in a way that's reasonably athletic. Correct. With, with that, that's, so let's, let's just take that factor out for right now. Let's just assume that from age 5 to 12 that you took – some volume of swings, right? Where you hit once a week or your dad flipped your ball, you had a bat at home and you did rotational stuff, right? Even if you just do rotational stuff or if you hit a hockey puck or hit a golf ball, in some capacity, you're going to be able to make a swing that impacts the ball because you build that hand-eye coordination, right? You build that that skill set. The reason why hitting gets really hard from an emotional standpoint, from like a, what you're talking about, what your daughters experience, right? Like your daughters can hit the ball, right? You flip them the ball, they can hit the ball. The problem with hitting is on Tuesday, you could pick up the bat and everything's moving crisp, clean, clear. You're getting the right pitches and you just square up everything. Or it feels like you square up everything. Maybe you square up 80% of the balls you hit in a practice setting i.e. translate that to a game, everybody's had a game where they felt like that if they're if they've played beyond Little League, right? Like everybody's had a game where they went to the field and they, like baseball was easy. <laughs> like hitting was easy. And the reason why it's so hard is because that's not the norm. That's not your normal in hitting. But as soon as you do that, that now becomes like your, your expectation line that becomes what you think is possible or plausible. And for the, the fact of the matter is you didn't really do anything different from how you prepared 
from what you ate. From, like there was nothing that made it different other than that just happened to be the day that you got good stuff to hit and it lined up with swing and it lined up with clear brain and it, and, and you went four for four with four rockets. Once you've done that, anything less than that kicks you in the nuts. Period. Like it just, it hits you right in the face. And you're like, why isn't it? Like I, I went four for four with four rockets yesterday and I showed up at the field. I struck out twice and I popped up foul and I like grounded out to short. <laughs> so th- those two ranges of what that looks like in terms of performance are very wide, right? Where an NBA player on a, like a good NBA player on a bad night, probably going to go three of 17 from the field, get to the foul line. 14 times and still score 18 points. And you're like, ah, I still scored 18, right? I'm used to scoring 30, but 18 ain't bad, right? Where if you go 0 for 4, you're the worst player on earth. You go 0 for 4 with four strikeouts, you're the worst player on earth that day. So the emotional ranges that this can take us to are so few and far. Like, they're just wide, right? Like, they're just huge. I want to I drill into something. And that, to me, something, is why hitting Something you triggered so in my brain, I want to tap into real quick. Um, from a focus standpoint, uh, what percent of drop-off can be detrimental to success when you're a hitter? Like, if you say 100% focus is you're locked in, you're seeing the ball well. You're reading spin well. This, you're on time. From a focus and execution standpoint, what how what how much does that need to drop off before you feel like you're just a lost puppy out there where the game's moving around you? It doesn't have to drop off that, that much. Like from a hundred to ninety, literally. Like because how how quickly does your ability to succeed like yeah. think about something like taking a ground ball like if you take your eye off the ball for a second if you're if you're not looking and focused ready for impact ready to move if you're if you're looking in the stands for a split second the ball's hit towards you it's over the game like the play is going to happen and you don't have a chance your ability to be successful requires intense focus but intense focus guarantees no success whatsoever. So you can have that 100% focus. So you have to be so, able to push and challenge yourself to mentally stay focused and mentally engaged and, and active, present, despite constant, constant failure. Or like the ball just doesn't get hit to you. So you just have to just stand out there and just wait. That's To me, that's really hard. So that, and then, that, then, it, then it gets into that's why baseball like you struck out like, and you're out in the field and you're thinking about your strikeouts so you're not paying attention or you made an error and you go into the dugout and you're thinking about you're you're distracted and it's incredibly hard to be but, successful when you're a thousand percent focused so when you when a when you lose percentage points of focus it makes it that much harder but then Bobby add this layer to it there are days when you're 70% focused and you just happen to get four cock shots yeah. and you hit them and they're, they're knocks. So you're like, Oh, great. So baseball's easy. That's the, that's, this is we're we're like literally talking about what makes baseball the most fascinating game in the world to me. Right. Because 
there's all these ranges, right? And and this is the th- these are the keep it simple, stupid people, right? These are the ones that are like, oh, we well, don't overcomplicate it, because they felt like when they were thinking about the minutia and the intricacies and grip pressure and and how they felt, that paralyzed them, right? Because they had never experienced that before. That's why Jeff Fry can't talk about the swing in a way that is anything more than, yeah, man, just go hit the ball. Because if you go to a guru, like they're just going to mess you up. That's why he can't do it because he never got presented the game that way. That guy just got beat up when he was a kid. And they just kept saying, hey, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And then he became this like little angry person who just overcame everything through intensity and emotion. Does that make him a bad dude? No. If you if you're a douche, that makes you a bad dude, right? But the reality is, like that worked for you. That that worked for you, right? Mm-hmm. Like that played. That's just not how everybody else sees it and thinks it. Because I went through anxiety. I had full fledged anxiety attacks when I was over eight because I couldn't really define why I didn't perform well. I could. I didn't understand it. Like I, I'm like, what did I not do today? And oh, by the way. On another note, completely separate, baseball is not hard physically. Again, not hard. Like anybody that wants to talk about load management and the inability. Marcus Simeon played 179 games and got Oh, my God. He must have been so tired. Why? From standing up like and taking five at-bats a night? Like that's not hard, guys. Like marathon runners run for three hours straight. That's hard. Right? Like the guys that run the 800 – that's hard. They're, they're almost in a full sprint. That's like, that's physically exhausting. It's daunting. It's not, baseball's hard because it's emotionally exhausting. And emotional exhaustion kicks your ass more than physical exhaustion. Because that acute level of focus that you need to be successful in those 10 minutes, I tell people all the time, I spent 23 hours and 50 minutes a day thinking about the 10 minutes I was going to be in the batter's box. How ridiculous is that? How absurd is that? I just think that's where it is. I don't think it's absurd at all. It's. I think it's really good. I think it's really good. Com- right. I think it's really think good it's conversation normal. though, and I hope. Hope Patrick clips he's well and it gets gets some shine on social. This whole concept of like what is hard, <clears throat> and what it, what does it take from a mental standpoint and an emotional standpoint, which is why like Bobby Magallanes can do magic with hitters by talking to them because he's getting them into the right place where they can perform at their peak. They're, they're going to be locked in. They're going to be present. And that has nothing to do with mechanics has nothing to do with anything physical. He's putting them in a position to be the most successful. They can be consistently because of their brain and because they're able to be focused at the right things at the right time. I think that's why we get so annoyed at the industry, right? And why we get so annoyed at the guys that are, hey, mechanics, mechanics, mechanics. It's like, dude, your swing is going to break one day, first of all. Like, I don't care how much you focus on snapping it or keeping it simple. Like, at some point, it's going to break, right? Whether it's today, tomorrow, or the next day, it's going to suck. Cut and dry. It's just not going to be what you want it to be. The reality is, is your your physical difference was probably that much. That much. Like a, a hair, right? But from a feeling standpoint, it felt like when guys say, oh, I made this huge change today. I feel so weird. I'm like, it was the same. 
It literally was the same. But from a results standpoint, it turns out to be this just these massive differences from how we hit the ball to whether we were safer out. And that's, to me, again, why it, it it's so convoluted. And I, I love what you said about grazing the ball off the tee, right? Like, it, you have to build in failure to the game. Like, you have to build it in and, and make sure that people recognize it's okay at well, a that- young age. If you don't, then you're, you're – if you're telling somebody, "Hey, you can be perfect," I wasn't good in high school, Bobby. Like I wasn't good. I had to. I grinded through high school baseball. Grinded. Like, it wasn't good. The uh, the thing about grazing the ball off the tee, the thing that's so interesting to me, is people are like, "Why would you want to get good at that?" And I'm like, "What are you talking? What are you talking about? I'm not trying to get good at grazing the ball off the tee, because I think if you practice something, it's gonna become like what you do, which is just a weird. I don't know why that." you're you're practicing swinging exactly where you want to swing you're practicing execution of specific intent that's what you want to be good at you want to become good at doing exactly what you want to do whenever you want to do it that's what you want to you don't want to become good at putting a ball on the tee and hitting the ball off the tee and putting the ball on the tee and hitting the ball off the tee that's that's not a robust skill that's not incredibly one-dimensional it's just funny to be, because people are like oh that's you're, you're you why would you practice missing the ball I'm like i'm not practicing missing the ball i'm practicing swinging where i want to swing when i want to swing it's like a whole different world of reality it's just funny it's it's interesting to me interesting. That, that's why hitting has to live in the existential and philosophical and not in the practical that was a great so segue so uh, a fairly vile, let me get the numbers on this, 540,000 views. Yes. Would Ted Williams be the best hit in the league if he played today? Yes. I have, I have a, a caveat to this. You're just going to say yes right off the jump? Yeah, because the best hitter of every generation would be the best hitter. Of so the next my question generation. is: Are we doing time travel, or did Ted Williams grow up in this era and he's currently of major league age? Stop! Stop giving. You can't. No. Like if you're gonna do the, if you're gonna do the, my answer the, changes. The test. I, I think agree if you, with you. If you time travel, is, he's gonna struggle. The test is not. Well, I just. There's no such thing as time travel. There's no such There's thing no as Ted Williams thing. playing in today's exist. game. What are you talking? We're, so, and I know it doesn't. We're exist. dealing with multiple hypotheticals here. So, I understand that, but this hypothetical has to be: he was born and raised in this generation. So, if that's like, it can't be. Oh, let's let's just take a hitter from a hundred years ago. Because we could do it backwards. If we put Barry Bonds in in Ted Williams era, I think he hit six hundred with hundred and forty homers, if not more. Nobody ever asked that question. Nobody ever asked the backwards one. That's I used funny. to talk about that with Miguel, like, like when, if you took Barry yeah, Bonds. I said that when uh, when Miguel Cabrera won his triple crown in like 2012 or whatever year it was. I was like, put him back, like send him back to Babe Ruth era. He's going to like it's like going back to hitting in high school. Like if you, it'd be like saying put peak Albert Pujols in a high school game, and you saw we already know what his high school numbers is. He hit 600 with sure. a billion overs. I think Ted Williams in a time travel situation would struggle, but would get up to speed quick. 
I think if sure. he grew up in this era, he would be excellent and he sure. would be amazing. And he would love the technology, I think. I think he'd be all about it. Sure. I think he would be uh, just the saltiest, like, tech forward. <laughs> just, I think he'd be so bitter at anybody that didn't agree with him or, like, see it his way. Because I just feel like that – I don't know if that's the wrong read on him um, or if that's, like, Boston media stuff. But I would love to see it. His swing was so good. No, Ted Williams, Ted Williams was so on purpose. And so when people are really on purpose, Bobby, and I think you could, I could call you this too. You get really irritated at people that are not on purpose. And that started happening to me later in my career. Like when I, I'll never, that depends, I'll never that, de- that depends on my, the podcast. that depends Let's on my, ex- my level of expectation. If I walk in thinking you're not going to be caring or you're not, you're whatever, I'll be fine. Just just tell me, and I'll be fine. If I walk into a situation and I think you're supposed to be Let's, high level and I and you're going to have intent and you don't, then I'm going to lose my mind. So everything is based off predispositions, is what you're telling me, right? That life is based off prejudgments of people. That's fair. Like you prejudge everything. I mean, that that's you do in your life. that's like a sociology experiment. <clears throat> like we make assumptions sure. that we have okay. to, otherwise we'd never function. I want I want to see if we're international. Okay, ready? Let's see if this gets back to the to the and I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the podcast. So it's a 2019 Olympic qualifier. It's Italy versus Israel. And Israel might as well have been like a minor league team because they had all American guys. And Italy is a mixture of American, Italian American guys and Italian born players. Our center fielder happened to be a really athletic kid, right? He had brief time in affiliated ball, super athletic, right? Just built like a brick shit house, strong, whatever, is, could hit the ball a mile if he if he, he hit his bat. So we're playing Israel, and it's going to be the deciding game, right? It's the game I got hit in the face. And so it's the first inning or second inning or third inning or whatever when he got his first at bat. And the guy goes – banger in the dirt strings at it and his slider wasn't top top it was good slider it just wasn't best slider right next pitch slider in the dirt swings at it next pitch slider down and away kind of like not on the plate but just off the plate like decent pitch he pops it up to first base next at bat slider in the dirt swing and miss Slider in the dirt, swing and miss. Slider in the dirt, swing and miss. Comes back to the dugout, walks over to the water cooler as I'm getting a cup of water. And he looks at me and he goes, man, this guy's got a slider. And like this Italian accent. <laughs> like, And I just, I took my water. I was drinking my water and I stopped and I just looked at him. And I just stared. And I go, after the first one in the dirt that you swung at, the fuck did you think he was going to throw you? <laughs> like, the, the, the lack of competence to me to understand. I was like, do you think he's going to throw it into your barrel? Do you think he's going he's gonna to get you to chase the slider in the dirt and then I'm going to sneak a heater past him right down the, right down the pipe? Like, this is – I was so irritated in that moment because this game is going to determine if I go to the Olympics or not, right? 
and I've got a guy who's like telling me, man, this guy's got a slider. What? So angry. And I think that's the type of stuff Ted Williams would have done. What are we talking about, dude? We're supposed to be like some of the best players in the world, theoretically, right? And I, granted, those are all in Major League Baseball and Japan, and they're not playing in the European Olympic qualifier. But you're top tier, right? And you you just swung at six straight sliders. I how I don't even know how that's feasible. And I think Ted Williams would get really annoyed at that. I I was super annoyed. So I think Ted Williams would have been mad at him and been like, what the hell are you talking about? Just go up there and assume he's going to throw a slider and stand there until you take two of them in a row. And then you'll get your fastball, dude. (laughs) He would have screamed at people. I wanted to. I just, I literally was like, what did you think he was going to throw? And then I walked away. (laughs) That's salt. But that's the experience and that's like you you want those people to ask questions you want those people to go hey what are you looking for here hey what would you have done in that situation hey what do i do my next at bat hey and make those real-time adjustments which i think that goes back to the fall off the cliff what percentage of hitters have the capability of doing this and yeah it maybe it's too advanced i don't know like if you look at it from an academic standpoint where you're like in a master's class and he's in like 11th grade where they're just, they don't know what they don't know yet. They don't. Yeah. But, but I need you in the master's But they don't class. know how to think the way that you think. They don't know how to process and interpret and, and understand. Like I think most hitters have gone through a situation where they chase a slider in the dirt and the pitcher throws another one and they chase it and they throw another one and you chase it. How quickly will you learn from that? Like, will you do that again? Or you'd be like, Hey, last time, because does the hitter think, oh, I should have hit those pitches or those pitches were not hittable. I shouldn't swing at those. What is the thing that go, what, what electrical <laughs> fires in their brain that says don't swing or continue to swing? And how do you trigger that? Do we need like electric shock therapy? They have like the, the bracelets, the, the bad habit bracelets. We should just implement those with hitters. Pa- the, 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 the product's actually yeah. called Pavlov. Have you seen that? You know what I'm talking about? It's like, uh, I don't know how they, I don't know how they do it, but anyway, how funny it would be if as a coach, you could just shock players, electric shock therapy for hitters. Like you, if you swing at a ball, you get shocked. <laughs> that should be that. <laughs> yeah. How many, how many pitches down the middle would hitters end up taking that? Cause they'd be so afraid to get shot. Maybe it would work. We'd breed a generation of takers. I, yeah. I have a, uh, I have a, uh, for youth baseball, the rule that I would implement is when you're young, you swing at every pitch and if it's a strike, then it's a strike. But if it's a ball, it's still a ball, but just swing at everything. And I think hitters would start to not swing on their own. Cause they'd be like, Oh, I can't hit that ball hard. I'm not going to swing at it. Like, Oh, it's way outside. I can't swing. I can't hit it. So why would I swing? Finding your range. Yep. I call it finding your range. It's part of our curriculum. Yeah, just swing, uh, just swing, and then let let the result tell you not to swing. Don't the, the decision is way too much about like is it a ball, or is it a strike? Instead of can I handle this pitch? And if you can handle the pitch, swing at it. If you can handle it, swing at it. If you can handle the top of the zone fastball, swing at it. If you can handle the sinker down, swing at it. Jose Bautista, bat flip, loves sinkers. He loved the ball working towards him. He's looking for it. Was that a strike? Even I don't know, borderline. 
He's working in. Imagine if he didn't swing at that pitch. Imagine if he didn't swing. But it all, it all, it all circles back to. This is the funny part too, where uh, people are talking about swing decisions nowadays, right? It's like, oh, swing decisions. Cool. So, like, what the game has been for 120 years. Same. But thing, they're right? they're doing 100 percent generalized models based on balls and strikes. Correct. Yeah, and that, and again, and also beyond that, right? The implication that we can fundamentally change a hitter's swing decision ability without actually causing them to feel pain is laughable, right? Like, why do like why why do players chase more often than not? Does anybody go up to bat and go, "Hey, man, I really want to swing at a slider two balls off the plate right now"? Does anybody in the world like is any hitter ever thought that? Maybe Vlad. Senior, he's like, yeah, that's the one I need right now to hit a blooper over the second baseman's head. But the the point is, everybody wants to hit a fastball down the middle, right? Or a pitch that they have teed up in their mind as their their optimal location. And then a bunch of other crap gets in the way of that. Meaning, like the guy's spinning it, he's sinking it, he's cutting it. The sun, the wind, the umpire. So all these factors just end up tying in where. Some players, the the reason we chase generally is we didn't recognize the pitch, right? We we didn't we we our eyes perceived it to be something else, or our emotion took over in a moment of panic, and we went ah crap, or we were we had a predisposition. I had a a, a great uh, Andy Burns shout out Andy Burns. He said this to me the other day. He goes, Cece, is the hitter on offense or on defense?" And I said, "The hitter's on defense, Burnsy. I've been saying that to you for like." 10 years since I first met you. Yeah, you're right. He goes, so in football, a cornerback, it's on defense, right? And I said, yep, they don't have the ball. He goes, when does a cornerback get on offense? And he and, and I was like, uh, on third and 32. <laughs> and he goes, oh, on a pick six, right? And I go, yeah, it makes sense. They get the ball. And he goes, when did that like what had to happen for that player to get on offense? And I say he had to jump the route. He goes, exactly. And I, that was a really good way of describing like jumping a 3-1 fastball, jumping a 2-0 fastball, jumping a – like you are in a moment where something about this moment, whether it's how the receiver lines up, how the quarterback's cadence goes, what he calls for signals, where the offensive line is, something told you that he was going to run a slant you were going to jump it. The New England Patriots won a Super Bowl because they trained Malcolm Butler to jump that route. And he had to in that moment. That was their only shot, only chance. Jump the route, kid, or else we lose. Anyway, so, like, you got to go jump 3-1 fastballs. And guess what? There might be a moment where you need to jump a a 2-2 fastball or a 0-2 fastball. But you have to make those decisions in real time in baseball. So you got to jump the route. To, to get aggressive, you got to jump routes, and you got to know when analogy. to jump routes. Because if you jump the route at the wrong time, going six the other way. See ya. I love it. Yeah, yeah. You out? Go back and sit out. Excellent. Yeah. Clip it. Clip that. Uh, last topic: Baseball United premiered. A couple friends of the program set records or set. They're in the in the history books. It's Courtney Hawkins had the first hit. Alex Liddy had the first home run. Shout out to those guys. I'm actually very curious when Courtney gets back into town. Um, 
hear about his experience. His experience. I already texted with you him. Did? I asked. I said I can't wait to see you hit a ball know, out right? of a stadium. <laughs> in Dubai I didn't want to text because I didn't is. know what sleep schedules were like. And... I like out, out of a stadium. No, he could because it's like the they call it the Ring of Fire. I, I, I texted right after game one yeah. immediately. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. I texted him right after interesting. game. Interesting. I'm I'm curious about. I want to learn. I want to learn what his experience was like in terms of. You know, they like. Albert Pools, Adrian Beltre, our owners. Who uh, I think Adrian Beltre. Who else? Barry Larkin. Barry Larkin. So there's there's Barry a Larkin. push there to to grow the game in a market where the game hasn't existed. So I'm I'm just very curious what the reception was like and what the experience was like. Like in, in terms of attendance, it was pretty low attendance. This was just a showcase thing. I don't know if they were out like really trying to fill the stadium. I'm sure if they wanted to fill the stadium, they could have from like a give tickets away standpoint, but I don't know what the effort was like with that. Pretty cool that they had little cabanas out on the field because the, the field is a circle so they could, they could do that. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, pretty interesting. A lot of, a lot of quiche over there. A lot of quiche. They're doing it. The money, the money ball concept. <laughs> what is that? Yeah. When you have an infinite piggy bank, what is the, what is the six, money ball six run Homer? I don't love that, but I don't even know the rule. No, it's double the amount of runs, double the amount of runs. So, like, if you have three runners on and you hit a four-run homer, it's an eight-run homer. So, does a hitter the call for it? Is like you use the money ball, I, and I don't know what the rules are on how you can use it. I didn't like, know that part. Like, is Panda going out there being like money ball? But it, it's cool that you can be down seven yeah. in the ninth. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a good uh, that part of it. It'd makes be cool it if you did like but, a. Make if the you, game yeah, if you could do like a tie a tie game, like if you pinch it in the ninth, the guy goes deep. It's an automatic tie game. That'd be crazy. But you have to like wager. You'd have to wager something. Yeah. No, what, it was what cool. would you I, wager I, in that situation? If you're like, all right, we're down by sixth. I, I we're down by six in the ninth. Uh, we're gonna send a guy up to try to hit a homer. If he hits a homer, it's a tie game. But if he doesn't hit a homer, was the game just over? How do you do that? Pinky nail. No, you're willing to give up a, a nail that on hurts. your pinky. Yeah. Is that weird? Physical pain. Yeah. Uh, in all reality, I thought it was cool. Like they, they, they dolled it up. They, they pepped it up. They, I think it's got a chance, man. Like I, you got infinite. Is it going to be a winter ball? Right. Like there's, that's not, it was not a small winter ball thing. Yeah. It's a winter ball. Yeah. I mean, they can't compete with regular season stuff. Now, if you get enough audience, like I think that's how Mexico does things, right? Like the Mexican Winter League is the league, and then the Summer League is like still pretty good, you know, their own fan base and stuff like that. But um, I thought it was cool, and I, Liddy looked like an idiot when he hit his homer and his helmet fell off. Almost missed second base. Had his hat on under it was weird. <laughs> Don't wear single ear flat with a hat on under. Yeah, he's trying to get his helmet back. I'm like, just run the bases, man. Run the bases. You get to see but Bartolo cool. Colon pitch. I, I would have done it i would have played of course you would have yeah I, i'll see so, if i can get in the league that league screw it I'm not the old that league is interesting do you think they do you think they'll be able to pay enough money to get major league stars to play in it how much money would like a mookie bets sure. need to get into and go play over there because he doesn't he doesn't need to do anything oh yeah. you mean current yeah. major league stars Nah, what if not. what if they Current threw him like fifty million for an for um, a winter? Guys, what if they say, "Hey, Shohei, sure. 
There's everybody's got a price. For two months. What's that number need to be? Too much. Too much. But I think there's a way to do it. I think there's a way to. I mean, I don't know what's their goal, right? Are they trying to overtake Major League Baseball as like no the premier league? Yeah, I know this was just baseball. like a, a simple show. How long are they over there for? Is it just these those games and it's over? Or they? I thought it was two weeks. Just two days. Yeah. Next year they're starting next yeah, year. So they're just no, they're doing it next year. They played two games, two and two and screw. Pump. Um, cool. Yeah, I mean it was Bartolo Colon and like Robinson Cano, like not really current stars but it was cool to have like Cano mic'd up and he's like what are you trying to do right now he's like well if he throws a strike I'm gonna swing <laughs> I'm gonna swing it's like what do you Nick Swisher is like way too much for me yeah I, I appreciate his energy but I, it's not my it's not my jam personally nothing personal guys he's never off so, he's so high never off. all the time I can't I'm I'm like the polar opposite I'm sure people are like dude you have negative energy I'm like all right Balance, balance. Imagine if him and I were in a booth, I would not talk the entire game. He's never off. That guy. I would just sit there the whole game. Uh, it was interesting. They had like a bunch of cricket stars, and like uh, there's one cricket star that was announcing like for the first couple innings, and he kept being like, "Oh, this game is crazy. I've never. This is a wild game." <laughs> it's, like, it's funny. Like if you if you grew up never playing baseball, and then like <laughs> somebody you're used to a cricket bat. And then they give you a baseball bat, and they're like, "Hit this!" And he's like, "Oh, what?" Remember in Birmingham, the the cricket guys were like doing the, doing this that thing, that one day. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yep, it's, interesting. It's like stuff, a they got a chance. Baseball hybrid sport. They got a chance. I have to learn. Baseball. What is it? Bricket, base. Because because uh, baseball with. With uh, with cricket, cricket they just run back and stupid. forth, right? Patrick even thinks it's stupid. Stop! But they just run back and forth. They just run back We're and done. forth. I don't well, care. The last thing I'm going to say. The last thing I'm going to say Bye. is they were talking about they were you talking about strike off. zones I'm and how ready. cricket there's no ambiguity when it comes to the strike because it either hits the wicket or it doesn't. So they were talking about that, which I appreciated because in baseball, the first strikeout of the of the United Baseball was about two feet outside. It was like Levon Hernandez against the Braves back in the day. Kind of strikeout. And they also didn't have the velocity turn on for Tolo. And uh, they turned on after Tolo was out. So that, that was probably part of his contract was don't show velocity when I'm pitching. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll keep going just to drag it out just for you guys because you're both just staring at me. Wrap it. Wrap it.